so text four. Uh, I've been told that we do text four up to text eight. Okay. To keep the promise of his father intact, Lord Ramachandra immediately gave up the position of king and accompanied by his wife, Mother Sita, wandered from one forest to another on his lotus feet, which were so delicate that they were unable to bear even the touch of Sita's palms. The Lord was also accompanied by Hanuman, king of monkeys, and by his own younger brother, Lord Lakshman, both of whom gave him relief from the fatigue of wandering in the forest, having cut off the nose and ears of Sopranaka. Thus disfiguring her, the Lord was separated from Mother Sita. He therefore became angry, moving his eyebrows and thus frightening the ocean, who then allowed the Lord to construct a bridge to cross the ocean. Subsequently, the Lord entered the kingdom of Ravan to kill him, like a fire devouring a forest. May that supreme Lord, Ramachandra, give us all protection. In the arena of the sacrifice performed by Vishwamitra, Lord Ramachandra, the king of Ayodhya, killed many demons, rakshasas and uncivilized men who wandered at night in the mode of darkness. May Lord Ramachandra, who killed these demons in the presence of Lakshman, be kind enough to give us protection. All these beautiful verses can be said as prayers in private prayer. Each of the Bhagavatam is not only a verse, but also a uh, prayer. In fact, they're the, the king of prayers. So now we come to verse uh, 6 and 7. O king, the pastimes of Lord Ramachandra were wonderful, like those of a baby elephant. In the assembly where Mother Sita was to choose her husband, in the midst of the heroes of this world, he broke the bow belonging to Lord Shiva. This bow was so heavy that it was carried by 300 men, but Lord Ramachandra bent and strung it and broke it in the middle, just as a baby elephant breaks a stick of sugar cane. Thus the Lord achieved the hand of Mother Sita, who was equally as endowed with transcendental qualities of form, beauty, behavior, age, and nature. Indeed, she was the goddess of fortune, who constantly rests on the chest of the Lord. While returning from Sita's home, after gaining her at the assembly of competitors, Lord Ramachandra met Parashuram. Although Parashuram was very proud, having rid the earth of the royal order twenty-one times, he was defeated by the Lord, who appeared to be a Kshatriya of the royal order. Purport. Maharaj Dasharath had three wives. One of them, Kaikeyi, served him very pleasingly, and he therefore wanted to give her a benediction. Kaikeyi, however, said that she would ask for the benediction when it was necessary. At the time of the coronation of Prince Ramachandra, Kaikei requested her husband to enthrone her son Bharata and send Ramachandra to the forest. Maharaj Dasharatha, being bound by his promise, ordered Ramachandra to go to the forest according to the dictation of his beloved. And the Lord, as an obedient son, accepted the order immediately. He left everything without hesitation, just as a liberated soul or great yogi gives up his life without material attraction. Omaya jnana timarandasya jnananjana shalakaya chakshur ummilitam jena tasmai shi gurave namaha jai shri prabhupada ki jai shri ramachandra bhagavan ki jai
Shri Dasarath Sutta Ki Jai. Um, everybody knows the story. And this is a very brief retelling of the story. Um, Sukadev Goswami knows that Maharaj Prikshit already knows this story. Maharaj Prikshit knows that, um, you know, he knows that he, he knows that the speaker knows the story. But um, the story is being retold. The retelling of a story to which you already know the ending is not a cause of disappointment. In normal circumstances, if you're listening to a story and someone says, I know how this story ends, let me tell you, and they'll go, no, 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 I don't want to know the ending. Because that interferes with the emotional cycle. You know, there's, there's, there's creation of a situation, there's the hero, there's maybe a heroine, there's maybe another anti-hero, there's a fight, there's a competition. If it's an American story, there's a court case. And uh, there's, a, there's a, you know, court case is followed by car chase, is followed by explosions. And although we know what the ending is, uh, we, although we may not know what the ending is, when we don't know what the ending is, then that heightens the intrigue. It heightens the intrigue. And no one wants to know what the ending is. Here we have a story where we not only know the ending, we know the beginning, the middle, the end. We know the details of all the characters. But the story is still being told again. So in this story, the conclusion of the narrative is not the object of telling the story. The emotions come from knowing the person's to be absolutely flawless persons in a narrative which is created by God himself. And when, because God is the best of everything, when he tells a story, the stories are the best. Even if you know the ending, the story is the best. Even if you know all the different characters, there's always something more to learn. And that's why people have been telling the stories of the Ramayan for um, ever since the Ramayan took place. And that's why we discuss them today. But there's always more details to know. Ramayan is 24,000 verses. Each verse has a long purport. Because each of the characters in the stories, there is a, you know, there's a, there's a backstory to everybody's story. Just like all of us. I don't know you, you don't know me. I know some of you, a lot of you I don't know. Each of you has a backstory, which is a very fascinating story. Therefore, the most important story for everyone, is how I came to Krishna consciousness. Isn't it? That's the most fascinating thing. How I came to Krishna consciousness. <laughs> Ketan. How I came to Krishna consciousness. It's always fascinating. Why is it so fascinating how I came to Krishna consciousness? Not how I came to Krishna consciousness, but how you came to Krishna Why is that the most important story for you? Because it's how God himself is using you to discover himself. It's the story that he puts you through on your journey to rediscover him in this lifetime. And that is your ayana, hmm? the Ketan ayana, the Adiguru ayana, the Radhagovinda ayana, the Sutapa ayana. Their journey, their journey to come to the Lord in this lifetime. It's the most wonderful story. So how Lord Ramachandra 
manifests himself as the supreme personality of Godhead in the life of every single person in his story. Of course, in our story, you can never manifest your Godhood. You can only manifest your servanthood. But how he manifests his Godhood to everyone is, is such a wonderful story. And as he is God, when he comes and displays all these different stories within stories within stories, um, everybody gets swept up. And so one story that we focused on here is the story of Vishwamitra. And there's a, there's a whole story how Vishwamitra got to the palace gates. He got to the door and he had come and he'd been walking for three days and three nights and he'd been fasting. And he was a great Maharishi. His body was golden in color. He was wearing a dark deer skin. He had a huge top knot of hair, but he was glowing. He had an effulgence. And when people saw him walking through the city, they thought, who is this great Rishi who has come? And then he announced his name when he came. He wouldn't go further than the doorstep. Sannyasis aren't allowed to come in to a place where there is women, even if they're begging without the husband of the family being there. They can get it. If it's raining, a sannyasi can go and stand under the porch, but he can't go into the house unless he sees the husband, unless he sees the man of the house come. Only when the man of the house comes to greet him can he then go into the house for food. So Maharishi Vishwamitra was standing there, and Dasharath knew that as the king, as the, the lord of the palace, he had to go and see him. But how did he know who he was? Vishwamitra didn't tell his name. He said, you go and tell the king that uh, the son of Gadi is here. The son of Gadi. Now how he got to be the son of Gadi is a very interesting story, which I propose to tell you. Because in this world, in this world, teachers, rishis, and sages often don't get the amount of respect that they're due. We are, you know, we are just like when you jump into a Ford car. If you, when you jump, well, you know, maybe you don't want to jump into a Ford car, When you jump into a Ford car, you don't often think of Mr. Ford, the person that, you know, created the original Ford car. You don't put a picture on your dashboard of his name is there on the car, but you don't really think of him that much. Maybe you'd think of his great-grandson, because <laughs> he's building a temple in Mayapur. But you, you, you wouldn't think of Mr. Ford. However, he's the person whose endeavor has contributed to a dynasty which has resulted in you being able to jump into a Ford car. Similarly, when we chant our Gayatri Mantra, we don't automatically think of Vishwamitra Muni. But the Gayatri Mantra uh, was revealed by Vishwamitra Muni. But it's said that when you chant a mantra, you have to think of the rishi who has delivered it to the world. Therefore, before we do our kirtan, our Hare Krishna kirtan, we always chant, Nama Om Vishnu Padaya, Krishna Prashtaya Bhutale, etc., etc. Why? Because we're honoring uh, Srila Prabhupada who gave the Maha Mantra to his followers who gave it to us. So we honor the teacher. Otherwise, you see, unless you stipulate that, Everybody forgets the teacher. Therefore, the teacher is always honored with what's known as a, a tanyan. A tanyan is a, a verse. That's Prabhupada's verse, two verses. He gets a lot more verses that people have composed about him, but we only sing the, the two 
as an obligatory duty when the uh, uh, and at the um, uh, every Vaishnava is supposed to be able to recite the, the tanyans of at least five gurus before him. That's what we call our mangala charana. So we use them at fire yagyas and, uh, you know, um, when we do pushpa puja, pushpanjali, uh, we use these verses in order to glorify the gurus who protected the knowledge that we are now using to get from A to B. So we jump in a Ford car. Let us give thanks to Mr. Ford. And we wake up every morning, we're chanting certain verses. You didn't write those verses. I didn't write those verses. Those verses were given to you, practically speaking, as a free gift. Of course, in order to claim your free gift, <laughs> it's the trick. You had to work your entire life for free in order to get the free gift. It's kind of like, you know, very good marketing. We distribute the Mahamantra freely to everyone. And the only, the only way that you can get the real essence of the understanding of the mantra is to work for nothing the rest of your life. You see? Therefore Papa said, I tricked them. <laughs> so, um, that gratitude, practically speaking, like a tire with a very slow leak has to be pumped up practically every day. You have to take the pump and pump up the tire. So we've, we've very, we have a very slow leak on our gratitude. Very slow leak on our gratitude. That means that after 24 hours has gone by, you wake up in the morning, you may feel absolutely no gratitude to the gurus and teachers who have given you everything that you use to have an enjoyable and happy and progressive spiritual life. Therefore, we spend most of the morning, basically, bowing down. Bowing down and reciting the names of various gurus. It's all guru. In our case, it's all Srila Prabhupada. From the first thing we get up in the morning for 4.30, glorifying the guru. Samsara Davana. I give thanks to the guru who has extinguished the forest fire that I was living in, and I'm now coming. Then, chant the Mahamantra. Okay, before we do that, Namam Vishnu Padaya. Then, when you finish chanting the Mahamantra, still your tires aren't completely pumped up. Then you have to come in front of the altar and worship Prabhupada with flower petals and yet another song. So, practically speaking, then you read from a book which was uh, uh, the, 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 the Bhashya, the commentary, was written by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami. So, before breakfast, what are we doing? We're spending most of our time pumping up the air of gratitude, lest we forget. Because the people that get forgotten are the people that give you the most. This is a very curious thing, but it's something that happens in the mode of passion. We're all creatures of the mode of passion, if we're lucky. If we manage to climb out of the mode of ignorance occasionally. But most of us are in the mode of passion. Mode of passion defocuses the emphasis of your interaction with the world to a very small window. You don't see the past and the things that you've done in the past that maybe you shouldn't repeat. You don't see the future and how you're going to get there. You see the present, just the present. Pretty much you see the present. So in the mode of passion, 
you don't think of your mother you don't think of your father but they gave you a body the very human body that you're using in order to become self-realized was given as a free gift from your mother in great pain and yet how often do you think of your mother not very often mother's day birthday Christmas maybe three times a year if she's lucky how many visits especially when you join the Hare Krishna movement how many times do you go and visit your mum for me I think it was about 12 years before I visited my mother yes shock horror therefore as an older man I'm telling you as younger people visit your mum occasionally and say thank you your dad how many people say thank you to dad you know how much money it took you to bring you to the point where you could join this wonderful Hare Krishna movement it's reckoned to be about 80,000 to 100,000 pounds to get you to this point do you say thank you ever you ever said thank you dad for all the all the good deeds that you did all those times you stopped me crossing the road and ending up as roadkill <laughs> do you ever thank your dad no you don't and what to speak of grandparents we have grandparents that at this very moment may be really expecting us to do something for them a thank you would not go amiss you have some grandparents and great grandparents for certain who have crossed over to the other side who may be in very difficult situations our culture says that we occasionally at least for a two week period once a year we give them uh, Mahaprasadam we have a photograph we invoke their name we read a chapter of Bhagavad Gita and we give them some Mahaprasadam it doesn't take long 10 minutes 15 minutes do we do it? no we don't and the guru we know we know that everybody thinks of their guru from Heathrow to Heathrow basically speaking okay from Heathrow to Heathrow I think of my guru beyond that oh, come on what is this I can't be expected to think of him all the time why not has he given you anything oh he gave me everything but do you think of him no from Heathrow to Heathrow <laughs> I'm joking I know that you're all very good people so uh, the primary school teacher who taught you the difference between a triangle and a square that's pretty important information to know the difference between a triangle, a square, and a circle. Do you ever think of that person who gave up their life? People never think of teachers until they're about 40 or 50. It's something that happens when you're 40 or 50. And you, then you start thinking about all the people that have helped you become the person that you are. And there are times when you have your own children, then you start thinking of your primary school teacher and what they went through to teach you the very basics so therefore in the Padma Purana when we find the 12 principles of Dharma we find that uh, honoring the teacher and honoring the parents and honoring the guru these are very um, uh, powerful things the very important things you take 12 principles of ordinary Dharma and one of them is to give thanks to the person that made you the person that you are and just write the names down sometime and say what can I do for this person what can I thank them for so occasionally once a year at least it's instituted twice a year once during the period of Shad that we thank our 
parents. And once during the period of Guru Purnima, which falls once a year when we thank anyone who's ever taught us anything. And it's a very good principle. Um, of course, we may say, well, the knowledge that I received from them was mundane. Well, okay, so your material body is also mundane. But at least you've got one. And let me tell you from practical experience, how many thousands of lifetimes it took for me to get a human body. I'm very, very thankful that I've got one. It took me a very, very long time to be sitting here. I had to, do you, many, you know how many animals I had to be before I got to be here? How many lampposts I had to urinate on? Uh, how many dead carcasses I had to pick away, peck away at? Okay. It took me a long time to be here, so I'm very grateful to have a human body. I'm also very grateful uh, that uh, 40 years ago, 40 years ago, this week actually, Prabhupada uh, wrote a letter and he said, I accept Kripamoya Das as my twice-born disciple. So I'm very, very happy. Hare Krishna. Twice-born. Dvija. It means that all that you've accumulated up to the point of that being second-born is helpful, relevant, but eternally maybe of less, you know, infinitely less importance than everything else. So there's a tendency for us to only thank the Guru who gave us our mantras. Because these mantras contribute to our liberation. So ultimately the person that breaks you free from the cycle of birth and death, your main gratitude goes to him. But in order to cultivate gratitude, in order to pump up that air of gratitude, it's very important. So let us hear about Vishwamitra and how these different gurus honored their parents and interacted. Let me tell you, I would now like to ask you to pin back your ears, my dear friends. And we're going to hear something about Vishwamitra. So, Vishwamitra, was, does this interest you? It should interest you, because you wouldn't be chanting the Gayatri Mantra without Vishwamitra, let me tell you. Each of these sages is known as a Mantra Drashta. A Mantra Drashta. And they give the mantras to um, human society. So Vishwamitra was known as Koshik. Very popular name. If you go to India and you ask, Apnam kya hai? You know, a million people will tell you, Mera naam Koshik hai. Okay, why? <laughs> because Koshik is one of the most famous sages. Why is he famous? Must have something to do with Sri Ramachandra Bhagavan Ki Jai. He was known as Koshik because he was the descendant of Kusha. He was the great grandson of a great king known as Kusha. And Kusha, he was one of the mental sons of Lord Brahma. So we're talking creation time. We're talking an extremely long time ago. These are not just historical characters or prehistorical characters. They are creational, foundational uh, characters. Now Kusha's son was uh, Kushanaba. Now in those days, whoever you married, because you had to marry because the universe had to be populated. So whoever you married was bound to be a pretty powerful person. So in the Bhagavad Gita we find evam prampara praptam Iman Rajarshayo Rajarshayo. 
So Krishna says in the beginning, I started this parampara with the saintly kings, and Ikshvaku was in that line. And uh, in the line of Ikshvaku uh, was a great personality called uh, Trasadasyu. Trasadasyu. And one descendant was a young lady who uh, Kushanaba married. I'm afraid I don't know the name. So they had a daughter. Um, actually, they had a son called Gadi. And Gadi had a daughter named Satyavati. It's not the Satyavati of the Mahabharata. It's another Satyavati. Uh, just like if I say, Oh, did Ramdas wash the pots? And I may skip the name Ram. I don't mean that Lord Ramachandra is washing the pots at Bhaktivedanta Manor. So these names are recycled. They're recycled names. So Satyavati was already there. So then, uh, why is this interesting? Because it's a story of Satyavati that is interesting for us. And it has many concomitant interesting uh, repercussions for us in our understanding of uh, the world. Satyavati, of course, was Imam Rajarshayo Vidu. She was the descendant of a Kshatriya. There was no question that the Kshatriya race was polluted. There was no question that the Brahmin race was polluted. So we're dealing with absolutely pure Kshatriyas and absolutely pure Brahminas. And there was a huge difference between them. Kali Yuga means that everybody becomes pretty much the same as everybody else and no one knows what Varna they're in anyway. Because there's so much Varna Shankara, there's so much mixing. But in the early days of the world, uh, there was only intermarriage between uh, uh, people of the same quality. So Satyavati was young, beautiful princess. She was in the palace. And one day, uh, uh, an older Brahmin came. I mean, we were talking about a spotlessly pure Brahmin. His name was Ruchika. And he was hosted by the king. And he happened to notice this princess. And he thought, well, it's probably time for me to be married. I should just pop the question. Now, of course, popping the question in Vedic times means asking the father. You would be surprised how many people do not know that in today's world. That popping the question means go and ask the father. I could give a lecture just on that. But go and ask the father. So the father saw, well, she's a young, beautiful girl. She's my daughter, of course. I want the best for her. But she's a Kshatriya. And normally, Kshatriyas, they like to bring all the young princes. And the princes, what do the princes do? They show off what they've got. So a Kshatriya shows off what's he, what he's got by flexing his muscles, especially his biceps. Okay, So there's a wrestling match. And then there's a archery and then there's all kinds of you know sword fighting and then they might have a you know judo or some other forms of martial arts and then the father says I like that one but his thighs are not quite big enough I like that one but his sword skills are not quite good enough I want my daughter to marry the best and the best for a Kshatriya king means the best warrior now when a Brahmin is marrying his daughter he looks and he says so how many verses do you know? Oh, I got big biceps. Oh, no, put them away. I'm just interested. How many verses do you know? You know, a Brahmin is meant to get up at half past two in the morning and not eat before half past two in the afternoon. That's a Brahmin. He's meant to be spotlessly clean. He's meant to know a portion of the Vedas off by heart. There was no such thing as books 
in those days. We just have memory. So this is what a Brahmin is looking for. So the king was looking for a Kshatriya. And he said to Ruchika, who's the name of the Brahmin, he said, yes, um, well, I suppose so. You're a Brahmin and you're a very qualified person if you really want to marry a Kshatriya daughter, but I'll only give her to you as your bride if you bring me 1,000 horses. And Ruchika said, all right. He said, but they have to be spotlessly white. I said, yeah, okay. Spotlessly white horses, very good. He said, but they all have to have black ears and only the ears. He said, all right. <laughs> so he did that. I don't know, don't ask me how he did it. He's a Brahmin. He's very, very talented. So he brought. So then there was a little trouble in Satyavati's mind. She said, but, you know, my father wants a son that will carry on the kingdom. My mother wants a son that will carry on the kingdom. And basically, I think my family would be very happy if uh, we had someone with Kshatriya qualities. But you're a Brahmin, and how can you therefore give us Kshatriya qualities. These are very uh, distinct qualities between the two Varnas. So he did a fire sacrifice, special fire sacrifice, and he gave her the remnants of the fire sacrifice, Charu. And he said, if you eat this, you will have a son whose qualities are Kshatriya, because I'm anxious to please you. She said, um, uh, uh, no, sorry, she said, um, uh, he said, if you eat this, we will have a son of, um, that's right, he, he did two, because Satyavati's mother was putting pressure on her. The mother-in-law <laughs> said, you have to come up with uh, a son of Kshatriya qualities. So he gave her two. He gave one was for Brahmin qualities, which was for her, and then Satyavati's mother, she said, you can have another son if you take this. But she changed them. Satyavati's mother didn't, trust uh, Ruchika. So she changed the Charu. And uh, what happened was that um, Satyavati, Satyavati gave birth to, uh, she didn't, uh, when she was pregnant, she confessed to her husband Ruchika. She said, well actually, my mother's told me that she swapped everything around. She said, so I will be giving birth to a Kshatriya son. So then Ruchika said, well what are we going to do about this? I have to have a Brahmin son, because I have to pass on, you know, there's a parampara with me too, I have to pass on to my son the Vedas. And you, your mother has to pass on the Kshatriya skills. So he said, all right, let it jump a generation. So uh, the, uh, the um, what happened was that Satyavati gave birth to uh, Jamadagni, and Jamadagni gave birth to Parashuram, who was, of course, the Kshatriya of all Kshatriyas. So that's how it jumped a generation. And then Satyavati's mother, the wife of Gadi, are you following me on this? You, you need to see a picture. Satyavati's mother, who had eaten the other charu, she gave birth to Vishvamitra, uh, the son of a Kshatriya with the qualities of a Brahmin. And... Uh, so you could say that there was a little mixing of the qualities between the father and the mother and the fire yagya. So what happened was that um, although uh, Vishwamitra had his uh, brahminical qualities, he also had these uh, kshatriya uh, tendencies. 
So the main episode that we are concerned with for how he got to be at the door was the interaction with uh, Vashishta. Vashishta was a rishi and he had um, a special cow who was a descendant, a family descendant of the Kamadenu cow. And this Kamadenu cow, as you know, can give anything, anything the petitioner wants. An ordinary cow can just give milk. You don't get a choice of flavors. If you go to a Jersey cow, you get Jersey milk. If you go to a Frisian cow, you get Frisian milk. You don't get milkshake, you don't get orange or mango flavor. If you go to a Kamadenu cow, you can get anything you wish. She's able to manifest anything that you ask for. So the Shramicha, Koshika, as he was at that time, he wanted this cow. So he came and asked for the cow. He said, uh, you know, please give me. And he said, uh, Vishishta said, well, I'm sorry, I, you know, I can't, can't do this. He said, well, then I'll come and I will fight you for the cow. He said, well, you know, I'm a Brahmin. That's not, generally speaking, what we do. You know, if you're a Kshatriya, then you should protect me. If you're a Brahmin, then you should sit and study with me. So Koshik went away because his, he, he didn't know who, he didn't know what he was. So then he, uh, like a lot of us, we don't, we don't know, you know, which line, which family line we come in. Therefore, we're all Achuta Gotra. In India, if they ask you, where are you from? Achuta Gotra. <laughs> we don't know our family line. So he went away and he worshipped Lord Shiva. And Lord Shiva gave him knowledge of all kinds of weapons. He went back to the ashram. He went there with many, many soldiers. He said, I've come for the cow. Vishishta said, I told you. You can't have the cow. And then Vishishta went for his weapon. And what was his weapon? It was a blunt weapon. It was a blunt piece of wood. But it was a blunt piece of wood that had been given to him by Lord Brahma. It was called the Brahma Danda. And with this Brahma Danda, the Brahma Danda simply by its own Shakti consumed the entire army of Koshika. Koshika looked and he said, well that was very powerful. He said, that's much more powerful than any Kshatriya power. So I think <laughs> I want to be a Brahmin. <laughs> so then he became a great Rishi. And the long, long stories of all the different, um, all the different things that happened to him. And he meditated for a thousand years and became a Rishi. And then he became a Brahma Rishi. And then another thousand years he became a Maharishi. In between, there was an incident where Indra saw how powerful he was becoming. He sent a beautiful dancing girl called Mainaka. And they had an issue, Shakuntala. And Shakuntala appears in another story. She appears in another story. You will know her story uh, because um, her son was named Bharat. Right? Her son was named Bharat. So at some of this point... Uh, Vishwamitra, as he's now called, he sees uh, the Gayatri Mantra and then he passes on the Gayatri Mantra to his disciples. So now this Vishwamitra, who has been given the title Maharishi, hmm, this title is very loosely bandied about, Maharishi, Maharishi, Maharishi. Oh, people ask us still sometimes, oh, are you followers of the Maharishi? <laughs> We should say, yes, we follow the Maharishi, Vishwamitra. We follow the Maharishi, Vyasadeva. We follow the Maharishi, Srila Prabhupada. He was a Maharishi. 
How is it possible to take Krishna consciousness all over the world in 12 years? How is that possible? Not even thinkable. With nothing. Starting with nothing. That's Maharishi. So many people claim the title. Uh, it took Koshik 3,000 years of meditation to be Maharishi, minimum. So then uh, Vishisht, Vishishta, when he hears Vishramitra is at the palace gates, Vishramitra is at the palace gates, he says to the king, he says, you better go and see him. Do we have five more minutes? So he's arriving at the palace gates and uh, he says, then we, fi then we find his story about um, uh, Lord Ram and Lakshman. Born at the same time, born after great meditation, born after uh, Rishi Ashringa, Rishi Ashringa with the antlers on his head. He came, he was the only boy, the presence of whom uh, it could reign in the kingdom. He was brought there by you know, deceitful means, and then the sweet rice, and then the, so... Maharaj Dasharath, the king of Ayodhya. Ayodhya is a perfect kingdom. It's just this, the streets are perfectly clean. There's no thievery. Everything is perfect. And now, into the story comes um, Vishramitra. And things are going to take a change. So Ram is not even 16. He's not even 16. And um, he's just about to complete his education. It said that his, he was so uh, delicate that his, you, you heard his palms are so delicate, his feet are so delicate. And yet at the same time, we know that he was possessed of unlimited, unlimited strength. So why has Vishwamitra come to Ayodhya? This is what they're thinking as they're going to the, the gate. You know, this great Maharishi, who's, uh, you know, he's also coming from the dynasty of the uh, sun, not the dynasty of the sun, the dynasty of, uh, you know, dynasty of Ikshvaku. So, um, he's received, his feet are washed, he's been walking for three days, that's why you wash a person's feet, it's not a ceremonial thing. You wash a person's feet because they're dirty. You wash the guru's feet because he's been walking. Because gurus walk from place to place, that's why we have a foot washing ceremony for an important person. It's very practical. One time Prabhupada was in an airport, and a devotee, it was a very hot day, somewhere down in the southern states of America, and one disciple was fanning him with a newspaper, and the press was taking photographs, and, and people, the reporters were, you know, is this some kind of ancient Indian ritual? Why, why is he fanning you with it? What, what is this as an ancient? Uh, Prabhupada just looked at him, <laughs> and was one of those, I won't say if looks could kill, but you know, Prabhupada's looks was sometimes saying, what are you, what are you talking about? He said, it is hot. He is fanning me. And there's okay. <laughs> Just because it's Indian doesn't mean it's, it's ceremonial. It's practical. Why do you wash a person's feet? It's practical. Okay? It's practical. Whether it's practical physiologically, practical psychologically, it's, you know, there's real reasons behind it. So his feet were washed. And then he asks what he's come for. He says, I have a problem. I have a problem. How can we help you? He says, well, there's two demons, Maricha and Subahu. And they come and they urinate on my fire sacrifices. This is a problem. 
you can't have a fire sacrifice if there's urine pouring from the sky. It tends to make it impure. And the whole point of a fire yagya is that it's pure ingredients and pure mantras and everything like that. So he says, uh, now, Vishwamitra was so powerful, he, he was so powerful that he could perform a ceremony that could take a man to heaven in his own body. Uh, Trishanku. He could, he could elevate him just by the powers of his mind. So how could he not get rid of two demons? But now he's no longer a Kshatri. He's, he's not giving into his Kshatriya nature. Now he's a Brahmin. So he says, I cannot kill them. I am a Brahmin. So please give me Ram for ten days. And uh, Vishwamitra, it, it said in the Ramayana, he could see the super soul. So he knew the identity. Anyone who can see the super soul, when you see the incarnation of the Lord, you know that this is the one and the same person. There's a resonance. It's impossible to not have the emotions that I am now seeing God if God on the inside is telling you, here I am. That's why, you know, one devotee, he told me he was, he was Jewish. He grew up in Israel. And for uh, all his life he'd been told, don't bow down to statues. Never, ever, 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 don't bow down to statues. It's illegal, it's sinful. God will punish you if you bow down to statues. What did he do? He went to Vrindavan. <laughs> he went to the Krishna Valaram temple. He bowed down. And then he looked at the altar and immediately, immediately, he said, I could not stop the cascades of tears. He said, they were just rolling down my face. He said, I didn't know what was going on. I don't know what, I didn't know who was that on the altar, what the statue was, who I, at that point, I didn't even know who I was anymore. I didn't know why I was crying. There was no reason for me. He said, but I knew. I just knew at that, point, that moment I was seeing the face of God. So, whatever religion you say you are, if you're sincerely seeking God, when you come in front of God, God will say, it's me. Here I am. I'm the one that you've been looking for. And there will be a concomitant. So Vishwamitra, he knew. Ram is the supreme. He said, I want Ram. Uh, but Dasharath, the very father of Ram, he didn't know anything. He didn't know who Ram was. He did not know. He just thought, look, I went through a great deal of trouble to have a son. I need a son to carry. He's a beautiful boy. He's just now learning his lessons. He's just coming up to 16. He's my son. His parenthood dominated his true wisdom. So then he said, well, look, and he got very, 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 he said, he's only 16. I know what that forest is like. And he gave him four arguments. He said, he knows nothing of fighting, my boy. He knows nothing of fighting. He doesn't know how to estimate the strength and weaknesses of opponents. Um, he has no weapons. He hasn't been trained in weapons. And these Rakshasas, they use sorcery. They can become invisible. They can change shape. They can look like your friend when they're enemy. They stab you in the back. They don't fight according to the Kshatriya rules. They will do anything to win. He said, therefore, I will come. If you want Ram, fine. But I will come with thousands of soldiers who are fully trained. What did Vishwamitra say? He said, no. That's not what I want. You're not listening. <laughs> You're not listening, O king. I want Ram. So then Dasharath knelt before Vishwamitra with tears in his eyes. 
and hands. He said, he, he said, I can't think of life without him. Please don't do this to me. It's taken me so long to have a son. Please don't do this. I, I can't even imagine my life without him. So then, what does Vishwamitra say? <laughs> he shakes his head. He said, well, and Dashrath tries for time. He tries to keep the conversation going. Because, you know, if someone's saying no, that's when you start trying to placate them in different ways. It's how a businessman, as soon as someone says, no, I don't want your product, they say that's when the selling begins. The selling begins not with the first yes, but with the first no. Please take a book. We're giving them out here today. No. That's when a good book distributor starts selling one of Papa's books. With the first no, no, I don't want, I don't want this, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want, no, just, 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 just give, just give, just give, just give, a little bit, take it, put it in your hand, just open it, open it at least. All right, I'll open it, but I'm not buying it. Oh, this is nice, okay. All right then, how much do you want? How much do you want? I would, we do, I think. But that twenty pound note would do. <laughs> So Dasharath is trying, okay, let me keep the conversation going. He said, no, no. He said, well, look, tell me what you know about the Rakshasas. Who is it exactly? So then Vishwamitra says something that gets Dasharath even more worried. He says, there is a Rakshasa by the name of Ravan. And as soon as Dasharath hears the name of Ravan, uh, he, he knows just what the score is. He said, Ravan is empowered by Brahma. He's invincible. He's been given invulnerability. And Ravan had previously slain one of Dasharath's ancestors called uh, Anaranya years before. So he knew my great-grandfather was slain by Ravana. Now this is going to be a repeat of history? I don't think so. Uh, he said, so previously I said Ram could come and I will come with my soldiers. Here's another thing. Ram stays in the palace and just I come with double the amount of soldiers. What does Vishwamitra do? He becomes absolutely furious. Furious. He just explodes in anger. And he says, that's not what I want. I want Ram. You have told me, when you wash my feet, you said, Swamiji, I will give you anything you wish. He said, as soon as you uttered that promise, as soon as you uttered that promise, you have to fulfill your obligation. Otherwise, I'll leave now, and I will tell the entire world that this king, Dasarath, does not honor his promise. Now for a Kshatriya, not to honor his promise, once he's spoken, that's not very helpful at all. So then Vishishta tells Dasarath in front of uh, uh, Vishwamitra, he said that um, actually uh, Vishwamitra has inconceivable power, he has great learning, and from Lord Shiva, he's got the power of all different types of invincible weapons. I don't think you should be so worried. Dasarath begins to cry pathetically, clasping the feet of Vishwamitra. He says, please don't ask me. Please, please don't ask me. So Vishishta picks him up and he takes him over to the side to give him a quiet word. And he says, actually, there's something you don't know. And now I'm going to reveal the secret that your son, in fact, all your sons, are the Supreme Personality of Godhead coming in disguise as the Kshatriya princes. And that this meeting between Vishwamitra and Vishishta, Vishwamitra and myself, and his taking of Ram, has been arranged by providence. And it is all for the good of Ram. You will see. Please trust me. 
So Vishishta is the guru of Dashrath and he trusts him and he says, all right. And then Vishwamitra leaves the palace with Ram and of course Lakshman comes. And then um, they're given invincible weapons and eventually they go to Mithila where they take part in the Swayambara ceremony and they win the hand of Sita and uh, the other princesses. And that is that section of the uh, the story. So let us give thanks to uh, Vishwamitra for everything that he went through to give us the mantra by which every single devotee in the entire world chants three times a day, sunrise, midday, and sunset. That mantra which gives us access to personally serve and personally touch the body of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. That mantra by which all five yagis are conducted. We give thanks to that Vishwamitra. We give thanks to Lord Ramachandra <laughs> for appearing here before us. And we give thanks to Srila Prabhupada without whom in his compassionate Maharishi activities within this world, none of us, none of us would know any of this. Hare Krishna. Thank you very much. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Jai.